For Beyond Profit, a podcast of the ANA Center for Brand Purpose, I'm Ken Beaulieu. There is no denying that purpose has gone mainstream. Across industry verticals, brands are coming out of the woodwork to declare themselves purposeful and part of the solution to fix what ails humanity. But it's not all sunshine and rainbows, according to purpose pioneer Thomas Colster. He sees a marketplace rife with broken promises and inauthentic actions from brands claiming to be purpose-driven. And that, he says, has caused purpose to fail. In his new book, The Hero Trap, How to Win in a Post-Purpose Market by Putting People in Charge, Colster argues that brands tend to overstate the role that they have in bringing about real change and that they will be seen as villains if they don't put people's dreams, aspirations, and creativity first. By helping people realize themselves, he says, organizations can make meaningful change and drive growth. An internationally renowned speaker, writer, and change agent, Colster inspired a global movement in marketing through his first book, Goodvertising, Creative Advertising That Cares. For nearly two decades, he has advised brands, agencies, and nonprofits on the importance of putting people and planet first. He joins me to discuss his latest book and much more. Thomas, welcome to Beyond Profit. Oh, thank you so much, Ken. And that was quite an introduction. (laughs) (laughs) So Thomas, off the top, I think we can agree that most brands are trying to be genuine with their purpose efforts. So why is there such growing consumer cynicism toward brand claims about the good they do? Are they genuine? I think it's become this thing you gotta have. I mean, sometimes I compare it to a little bit like Pokemon, right? Everybody's searching for it, mm-hmm. but by the end of the day, nobody really knows why. I think there has been this societal pressure on brands on a number of factors. And I think that has made brands look to purpose as sort of the life boy in terms of saying, mm-hmm. hey, wait a moment. You know, we've read surveys like the one from Have as Meaningful Brands that says that people are falling out of love with us. Maybe purpose purpose is our way to finding meaningful connections again. And I think that you mentioned my first book, I think that was true a decade ago, in essence, that there wasn't that many around. But I think the issue today is that, and I can say that from a Scandinavian perspective, I'm calling in from Copenhagen today, I cannot go into the supermarket without every brand sort of pitching itself as Mother Teresa, Gandhi, Jesus. And one of the things, one of the questions that in fact, and to call the BS and a lot of the purposes, sparked me to write the second book was in fact one very easy question. And and maybe you even have an answer yourself, but it's, you know, what leader, brand or organization have in fact created real positive change in your life? When you look at the marketplace, are there specific industries or industry where you're seeing purpose fail or is it across the board thing? I think, again, what I try to describe in, in the book, this move from sort of a purpose market to a post-purpose market. I think the change has happened probably in the last three to five years. The first book came out about a decade ago. And at that time, it was actually tough to find any real purposeful company. You had a few, the, the ones we know today, Dove, Ben & Jerry's, right. Patagonia, Body Shop. I think what sort of have changed is the cynicism. It's almost like we've seen within charities that there's at some point came sort of like a charity fatigue where it was just like, ah, it's too much. (laughs) Get off Mm -hmm. my back with all this good stuff. And I think actually COVID probably has even accelerated some of that cynicism, unfortunately. And by the end of the day, are we really buying it? I mean, are we really buying the pitch from a soft drink company? 
pitching itself as trying to save our oceans. I think that's the challenge. How do we going forward build brands that people authentically believe in? I think that's the problem. And one of the key things I say in the book is in fact that people no longer buy what these brands do or why they do it because mm -hmm. everybody's claiming to have higher values. But in fact, I think the real proof point is the change they make in my life. Have brand XYZ or leader XYZ made me healthier? more sustainable, more conscious, more connected in my community. I think that's when sort of words and visions from some of these brands turn into reality. And that's also why I have such a stringent focus on change. So it seems to me that in this rush to do good, that there's a misalignment between the brand and purpose. Is that what you're seeing? Is that why purpose is failing? Or one of the reasons why it's that there's just no good connection between the two? I think there's a couple of things. I mean, one of the key things I point out in the book is that the way we typically build brands haven't changed. If you take most purposeful brands and put them in a psychologist chair, the psychologist would probably say that you're suffering from megalomaniac. You know, you're megalomaniac, delusional. Take Patagonia. And, you know, I started the industry as a copywriter. So when people write something, I actually take it literally because I think when people write it, I, that's what they mean, right? Sure. If you listen to what Patagonia is saying, we're in the world, we're in the business to save our home planet. That comes mm -hmm. from a company that makes t shirts to people who are stuck in a walk bedroom apartment in Brooklyn. Maybe that's a little bit of an overstatement. Maybe that role is too big. Those shoes are too big to fill. And so the thing I saw and the thing I was really curious about through my career has been, how do we change? How do we create that change? And I think, in fact, the best leaders in my life has been the ones that have helped me grow. So the change I want to emphasize with the hero trap is, in fact, that please don't put yourself as the hero or as the preacher, but rather be a coach. Because I think there's so many things that you and I can uh, are battling with and, or in our, our lives or things we want to achieve. And I think this is where brands have a real meaningful difference to play. I think a lot of the brands, as I said, look to purpose to find meaning. But I think what they forgot was that meaning is found in the relationship with the significant other. And so the key question I ask in the book is not the sort of Simon Sinek navel gazing why. I asked in the first book and, and supported in the first book and in my first 10 years of advising companies is in a, in a fundamentally different question, which is who can you in fact help people become? So I'd like to follow up with that. I mean, you're quite emphatic in your book, Thomas, about enabling people to become who they want to be. So yeah. what is holding brands back from doing just that? I actually really don't know. I think the interesting thing is that when purpose becomes too good to be true, it's when brands sort of stand up for these very big societal challenges that a lot of us can't necessarily relate to. And that's when it doesn't become operational. What I wanted to do was to make it extremely life-centric. You know, Ken, if you woke up tomorrow and above your bed, it says in golden letters, do good for people and planet. I'm not sure what you would do differently that day. <laughs> Whereas what I try and pinpoint in the book is some of those brands that have what I call a transformative promise, a promise about a change that can enable in people's lives that is very, very focused on where they want to enable you or who they want to enable you to become. A company I mentioned in the book is Discovery. It's a big health insurance company. It's one of the most innovative health insurance companies. Mm -hmm. And their transformative promise is to incentivize you to live healthier. And I like that because it points inside the company and outside the company. And it really sort of, it also avoids that typical issue 
with Purpose almost becoming a brand standing up on this hero's pedestal and saying, we're going to rescue the world. And after a while, I'm going to point fingers at that soft drink company and I'm going to say, hey, wait a moment. You say you want to do something for the, for the oceans. You say you want to do something about climate change. But what about this? What about that? When you have a health insurance company that says, we're here on a journey together. We want to incentivize you to live healthier. It's pretty hard for you to point fingers and say at them, hey, wait a moment. I didn't go on that run. I don't feel healthier. I became a customer, but I, what's up? So I think that's a really, really important shift that I'm more and more witness. And probably mostly because when I can feel that change on my own body, on my own mind, it's not anymore just words from a leader or brand. I can feel the difference. It sounds to me, Thomas, that brands are stepping out of their comfort zone and in some instances, maybe too aspirational with their purpose. I think you're right. And I'm probably also to blame for that with my first book, to be honest. I mean, good advertising, you know, I obviously rallied for brands to become part of the solution and stand up to some of society's biggest challenges. But I think what we fundamentally are seeing right now is the marketplace is now overcrowded with purposeful brands. And I think one key thing is also if we put the do good hat on is in fact that, and the climate reports point that out again and again, what we need right now is all of us to act. We all need to take responsibility in all of this. And I think as a marketeer, and this was one of the light bulb moments in my new book was in fact that I realized that change is difficult. I looked at my own life mm -hmm. and I figured out, Thomas, I'm my own worst change agent sometimes. It's difficult. And if you take smoking as an example, I don't know if you smoke, but nope. you know, your loved ones can tell you to put away the cigarettes. Your kids can tell you, the doctor can tell you. In Europe, they're going to put these scary images on the cigarette packages to try and scare you away from smoking. But by the end of the day, the only one who could create that change is you. And so when we talk about change and when we talk about purpose, that's why I thought that leadership had to change. And also looking at the broader tendencies right now, which is that young people, they don't want to be put up with the way the business is being run today. Mm -hmm. They feel empowered, enabled. If they are not happy with how things are, just going to start their own business. I mean, one of the guys I interviewed for for the book was uh, Mark Pritchett, the global CMO of PNG. And one of the things he shared with me still resonates with me. He said, you know, even though we've been in business for 180 years or so, we have some of the best research and developers employed, people don't trust us, but they trust an 18-year-old kid making soap out of his mom's basement. <laughs> it says a lot about yes. the mentality in today's marketplace. I mean, when you don't trust what's written in the paper, when you don't trust what's put out in AdWords, but you trust some 23 two-year-old girl on TikTok, then we as marketeers need to listen. So Thomas, you argue in your book that people no longer buy what brands make, that they want brands to fulfill their dreams, goals, and aspirations. So how does that change the nature of brand marketing and advertising, if at all? You know what, Ken? I think in some instances, writing the book and working with brands, leaders, and organizations with this new methodology, the errands and the tools are put forward in the book over now three to four years. One of the things I actually realized was that some of the most valuable, some of the most loved brands in the world mm -hmm. are in fact what I call transformative. Take Nike. It's all about the go-getter and the athleticism, all that stuff. Apple, think different. Lego, all about playing creativity. And so it's interesting to see that 
those brands know what role they want to play in people's lives. And they're relevant, they're loved, they're meaningful, and they're able to put out exciting new products all the time. Even sometimes go into categories they haven't been in before. And so I think that's the real pain point here is in fact that brands just sort of gotten lost in the woods and purpose didn't help them because it's just sometimes easier to compare brands to friends. Sure. Easy exercise that. You know, there are friends for a lot of things in our lives. There are friends who we want to do sports with. There are friends who we want to sit down with when we are heartbroken. Friends who we call when we don't really get all that Greta Thunberg nonsense and we just want to kind of get up to date with that whole thing that's happening in Glasgow. My thing is nobody ever asked every brand to put on the hero key. Nobody. I mean, today, the commercial break looks like, you know, the Avengers superhero movie, right? Sure. It's just too much. And, and when I started my mission, I don't think I ever imagined with good advertising, we would end up at this point ever. So there's nothing wrong with a company embarking on becoming a more sustainable business. I think that's a hygiene factor today. I think it's a hygiene factor to respond to the climate urgency, to respond to some of the social pressures that we're witnessing right now. That's a hygiene factor. But nobody ever told your brand to put on that sort of sainthood type communication. That's my beef with purpose these days. Sure. So if brands do shift to what you call human betterment, you know, yeah. as you suggest in the book, how do they put a price tag on that? How yeah. do you drive bottom line results by talking about human betterment? I think one of the um, one of the key shifts I'm seeing right now is that for most of my career in advertising, what we have been doing is we've been trying to put and market and getting young people to put on a t-shirt with a, with a fancy logo. I think the real shift right now is that young people today rather want to wear a shirt with their own accomplishments on its sleeves, right? So there is a significant shift happening right now. And I think COVID has accelerated that, that we do understand right now that the best things in life aren't things. And I see some brands really understanding this shift. And I'm also seeing some pretty clear signs in the marketplace. I mean, look at brick and mortar stores, for example, they're, they're failing basically across the world at the moment. Mm -hmm. US, Europe. And why is that? Obviously, yes, that is online. But I think the real threat there is that a lot of those stores, the only thing they offer is transaction. Why should I move my fat ass down in a store, get most often bad service because it's difficult to get, you know, the right talent, whereas brands like Nike, the store they have in Soho in New York, for that sake, the Amazon four-star store, they're understanding that this could be about something different. This could be a dialogue. This could be a transformation. One example I mentioned in the book is uh, a sports retailer called Respect Your Universe. I think they found quite a nice position in a very cluttered marketplace. I often talk about you know, finding that meaningful role to play, as mm -hmm. I call it a who word in the book. And if you think about all sports retailers, it's very often about athleticism. It's often about being the best. When I interviewed the CEO, it was so interesting because he said, I actually feel with him because, you know, a lot of people play paddle at the moment. And when you want to pick up a new sport, you go into the sports retailer and you feel a little bit intimidated because there's always this super fit guy and he knows everything about it and the racket and the strings yeah. and all that stuff. You feel intimidated. But what Respect Your Universe is, is saying is that we're here for your life goals and sport, no matter what they are. And they've been very successful and employing very diverse people that look like you and I. So when I go in there, it feels more like a community place. They have a space 
that they can open up for people. So if you are passionate about kickboxing and you get enough friends from your community to join you in that kickboxing mm -hmm. class, you borrow that space. They have a promotion where if one of your goals was to lose weight, you can't fit the pants you bought after a while, you can return them for free. For me, that's retailers who understand that it's no longer about transaction, but it's about transformation. I'd like to actually to to follow up on that. This you know the whole downward trend in retail. I assume that also speaks to customer experience or lack thereof. So is that is customer experience a key piece of like being purposeful? It could be. Yeah, mm -hmm. I definitely think that purpose needs to be to shine true in every little touch point. I mean, one really good example actually from down the road from where I live is that if we take IKEA as an example, uh, famous for breaking up couples and also <laughs> famous for mega malls. <laughs> Mostly for breaking up couples. <laughs> They've actually launched a 150 square meters store in central Copenhagen. And all there is in that store is just six designers sitting behind their laptops and they can help me design my dream home. I just love that because suddenly they, you know, sort of deliver on their sort of democratizing design, helping me achieve some of the dreams I have with my home. And it's a different th way of, of thinking retail. And that to me also shows that marketeers out they probably also need to shift away from how we used to operate, which is we as a brand know everything, and this is how we deliver mm -hmm. our products and services, to actually open up for people's passion and creativity and see how they can make me participant across the whole marketing mix. Because, I mean, if I take my niece, and I'm sure you have similar examples, but I mean, my niece is 15. She's already an acute marketeer. She knows how to sell on Instagram, even mm -hmm. though she's probably not allowed to, in mm -hmm. fact. So we'll keep <laughs> this between uh, just you and I and the listeners. Absolutely. And if you're listening from Instagram, don't look up. She's mm -hmm. called Clara. But anyway, but she knows everything, right? And when you then suddenly have a big brand that is trying to convince her about things like purpose, or trying to sell on their terms. What is that about? That's not how my friends, that's not how we transact. That's not how we relate. And I think it's a massive flaw right now that we're not adapting faster in marketing, unfortunately, to this mm -hmm. change. I want to go back to a point you made about, you know, transformative promise and how important that is. So just talk a little bit more about the essence of that promise and how it benefits the brand and humanity. We can always discuss wording, right? Is the transformative promise, in fact, a purpose? Yes, you could say so. But what I really wanted to do was I wanted to change uh, the narrative and the definition. So for me, a key thing about the book was, in fact, not to write a book, but to try and provide a tool and an answer. Because I think there's too much, and right now it seems like I'm part of it, but there's a lot of purpose bashing at the moment, oh, yes. a lot of discussion around profitability and purpose. And I just didn't want to say, hey, there's something wrong with purpose without coming up with a solution. So in the book, I put forward this tool or methodology, which I call the arrow. And the arrow is in fact inspired by psychotherapy and coaching because both those disciplines are goal-oriented. And one of the models that inspired me to create this arrow model was in fact a, a really simple premise, which is called, a lot of coaches use it, it's called, I want, I can, I will. So there's something I want to change in my life. I build up the capabilities that I can, and that will part is the confidence. So the arrow asks four fundamental questions. What is it that you do? So the products or the services, how are you unique in delivering those products or services, which is sort of about the capabilities, what is your unique role in the marketplace? Mm -hmm. Then the key question is, who can you help people become? And 
And the last one is, when can you enable that change? And those four questions lead to what I call the transformative promise, which is essentially a promise about a change you can enable in people's lives. And it's two fundamentally different ways of looking at leadership, as I said, because the, the traditional purpose way of looking at it is that it puts the brand as the agent of change, whereas what I talk about really put you and I as the agents of change, yeah. Right. And a big difference. Yeah, no doubt. So brands believe, uh, or most brands believe that they should respond to cultural movements. So what advice do you have for marketers who are concerned about the blowback from consumers who may not agree with the brand stance? I mean, that's the big issue. It is. And I think a lot of this has also been down to the fact that I think a lot of brands rushed into this without actually really considering what their role was in a lot of these cultural movements, whether we're talking Black Lives Matter or Me Too or the climate movement. I generally just felt that like when you're at a dinner party and somebody suddenly outbursts something like an uncle at Thanksgiving and you're like, where the heck did that come from? And quite frankly, that's sometimes how I feel. I mean, each year after Super Bowl, I always uh, write a little op-ed to kind of analyze it from a sort of good advertising and purpose perspective. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I see some entrants that, that come out with messages that I'm like, Audi and diversity? Where did that come from? I, I never heard you guys talk about that stuff before. Right. Not right. saying that you can't have grown a conscious, but really, genuinely, mm -hmm. come on. As I said, I think the baseline is, yes, you need to respond as a company. But just because when I was a teenager, it was customary that I cleaned my own room, I wouldn't probably go into my mom and put up a, a billboard or a 30-second radio commercial bragging about how I cleaned my room because that's what I should be doing. I think a lot of brands probably should take some time to reflect before they rush into these movements. And secondly, as I put forward in the book, maybe to really try and figure out if they have just got lost altogether. Maybe they lost their way in the world. I think the thing that hasn't changed in branding is that it's all about consistency, right? A brand is built over time by repeating the same messages. And I think that's also suddenly why we're so confused sometimes that mm -hmm. you thought that that brand was this, but suddenly it comes out as some sort of messiahs with a message about oceans. Mm -hmm. And you're like, oh, how, how does how does that yeah. fit? I really don't get it. And one of the things where I probably changed my perspective the most is, is probably around brand activism. If you take an ad that a lot of people spoke about from Patagonia, the little tech, vote the assholes out. I think it's adding to a sort of pressure cooker. And at some point, eventually, it will be a hero trap in the sense that we live in such divisive times. And for brands to take a stand on one or the other side, I don't think that's part of being purposeful or that's part of sustainable behavior. Because for me, sustainability, conscious responsibility comes with being more inclusive and not exclusive. Because if you know better about climate, if you know better about diversity, why point fingers at those who don't? And so I always sense that the real thing for those brands to do and where I see the sort of next frontier of purpose is in fact to engage sort of average Joe. All of us who aren't the activists, yeah. who aren't the typical value-driven consumers. So I think there's a real threat for those brands who early on put on that hero's cape because Yes, they might have a nice following, but as we all know, what was fair, what was sustainable, what was righteous five years ago is changing dramatically probably five years ahead. And we see that again and again, right? 
Right. I mean, you're talking about a serious sea change here, Thomas. I mean, brands are working with influencers and activists and these folks, you know, the TikTok stars. And, that, and so now, now you're talking about just reaching out to the average Joe. How do you yeah. get brands to transition now to that? And I'm not disagreeing with you, but I feel like that will be a challenge. Yeah, I think the challenge is how you look at it. I think that, first of all, there's a market potential and there's no doubt about it. If we look at how the market has developed from just my first book to my second book is obviously that, I don't know what you should call them, low-ass conscious consumers, whatever you want to call mm -hmm. them, more value-driven consumers, that market is expanding. And so, and if we look at it from, which I can't help do, look at it from a change perspective and from a point of view where we know that most companies' impact on the hands of consumers in third mm -hmm. tier. So if they are to change that impact, they in fact need to involve people in that journey. And so that's also why I really wanted to begin with people first, as you said, when you read the intro, it's really about putting people first. And one of the things that I looked at was in fact, what actually happens if we try and open up the marketing mix for people to take part in? And it's really exciting. I can even share an embarrassing story from my own life because I, I forgot to take my own medicine. <laughs> when COVID hit, obviously I couldn't travel around the world and, and we were like everybody else rushing into doing webinars and stuff like right. that. We were doing discount codes and whatnot. And then after a while we realized that, oh, it's difficult to engage an audience and get people to pay for them. And then one of the key things in the book is obviously to make people decide because they know better. They know what they want to pay for it. So we put our pay as you want price on our webinars and we explain people how that would work. You know, if you pay zero bucks at one point, Thomas and team can't keep doing these webinars because yeah. we're going to go bankrupt. Sure. <laughs> at 59, we break even at 89, we're turning a profit. The interesting thing was we earned more money from the ones who didn't pay. We actually ended up converting 10 to 15% to either buying books or audio books or other webinars. So I think there is really a going back to the mindset of my young niece, Clara, that generation just isn't used to business on the business terms. I mean, I even get frustrated when I just moved into a new house and I wanted to cancel my broadband uh, contract and that they still had that kind of three month period where like, what is that about? Do you still insist on me paying in three months for a service I'm not getting? Is, mm -hmm. is that how this works? I mean, I wouldn't really imagine any relationship if I went up to my girlfriend and I was like, honey, you know, this is really not working for me. I'm breaking up. And she's like, yeah, got the three month period, remember? And so what, what I put out there in a the book is in fact, how can, how can businesses in fact open up for people's creativity and passion and, and, and really try and see how they can start doing business on people's terms. And one good example of a business that sort of just have disrupted the whole sort of uh, car rental Europe, it's it's called uh, Drive Now, which was initially a BMW initiative. And basically what you do is you have all these cars around central Copenhagen and you go over there and you open it with your phone. You drive it, you pay per minute, you leave the car wherever you want. And, and if you compare that to the good old Avis model, going down to the rental company, waiting in queue, picking up the car. And I think that's an example of what people today will be expecting more and more in the marketplace. And unfortunately, I see very few brands who are ready for that earthquake underneath them. And that's also why in the book, I wanted to interview both big brands like P&G, Ikea, Danone, but I also wanted to interview some of the challenger brands. And some of these brands just get it right.
You mentioned your first book, Goodvertising, um, a successful book, I, I might add, which talks about how to become a force for good through great advertising. Are the principles in that book, do they still apply today? You know, you've talked about taking some ownership about what's happened with purpose. I think you're being a little too hard on yourself, to be quite honest. But are there principles in that book that you feel like brands can still you know, adhere to? I definitely think so. I think a lot of how we build meaningful brands still matters in terms of you know being transparent, being simple, being committed, mm. all of these things. I think probably the key thing is in fact around leadership. I think that's the piece that has changed the most. And and as I said, probably mostly from an evolutionary perspective, in fact, because right now there are so many purposeful brands. But that being said though, transformative brands do outperform purposeful brands when we look at the business case. Because mm -hmm. I think you mentioned a little bit what's sort of wrong with purpose. And one of the things that I never felt that I really solved in the first book was the business case, because quite often purpose ends up being a two-headed purpose monster where the one head is saying purpose do the right thing and the other one is saying profit and please the shareholders right. and i already had a hard time sort of aligning those two um whereas with the new methodology it does seem like when you have an insurance company like discovery that says to incentivize their customers to live healthier when they're successful at doing that which they've proven they have a, a program called vitality where they in fact have proven that people that take part in that program exercise 5.1 day more per month, which is a massive achievement. But ultimately also that leads to them paying less in premiums. So mm -hmm. it becomes a more profitable business. And I have other examples in the book of similar businesses that takes the transformative approach. And what I wanted to understand further was in fact, there's always this gap between people say they want to buy from purposeful brands and those who really follow through. There's intent and action gap. And I think a lot of us who've been in the space have been discussing for years. And I really wanted to explore that further. And what we did was we compared for classical purposeful commercials that puts the brand as the agent of chains. Quite a few of them have been running at Super Bowl and we compared that with four transformative commercials. And the interesting thing was people were on average 29.6% more motivated by the transformative approach. And even more interesting so was that people were on average 29.4% people were actually willing to pay a premium price. And for me, that shows that people who saw those commercials valued the message, felt motivated motivated and engaged by the message. And for me, that was probably what made me most happy about that new framework mm -hmm. by looking at sort of the, how do we really unlock chains? How do we begin with people? How do we get people motivated to take part in the chains? So that was right. probably my biggest eye opener. And also where I do see that if we look for the business case for purpose, I think we need to look at it from that perspective. Do right. I feel motivated to go and do sports? Do I feel motivated by IKEA to live more sustainably? Yes inevitably, I might actually end up buying some of their products or some of their services that enable me to do so. So I'm just curious, when the conference board came out with its statement a couple of years ago that brands must serve all stakeholders and not, not just shareholders, do you feel that that was a seminal moment in the purpose movement one way or another? Definitely. I think there are seismic shifts happening right now across stock markets, in the supermarkets. You know, looking back 10 years or so, yes, definitely. A lot mm -hmm. has shifted. This has become conversations that you are having in Cannes, that you're having around the dinner table. When my book came out, I mean, honestly, most of the marketing community ignored it for the first couple of years because they were like, good advertising, doing good, being responsible. What are you talking about? I remember I had this, and it's actually a real title. I can't remember who wrote it, but there's actually a book called Cash 
advertising. Sometimes just for the fun of it, I showed that one first, you know, to say, that's good. Know, this was yeah. how the world used to be. And no, so, so that's also why I keep emphasizing that being a sustainable business is simply different from forcing your brand to put on the hero's right. cape. I can be Thomas who weighs sorts and who doesn't buy products that are cruel to animal and that are organic, et cetera, but I don't have to go and brag about it. It's that simple. So I've mentioned you're a prolific speaker. You've spoken over 70 countries throughout your career. Is there a core belief or beliefs that you emphasize with every audience? Yes, definitely. And something that I have to remind myself about all the time as well is that in fact, that all of us change agents, each and every one of us have the right. ability to stand up and create change. And, you know, every time I go into a new brand or marketing organization or nonprofit, I always find a couple of leaders, or not even just leaders, it could be everyone within that organization that has actually taken upon them to do something about this who has a conscience, who wants to change, who, who wants to see the brand being taken in a new direction, who's curious about what can we do about the packaging, et cetera. And so that's something that, that I always try and tell people. And also because, you know, if I look at my own journey, when I was 30, if it hadn't been for COP15 being hosted in Copenhagen at the time, because that was my light bulb moment, it was a failed COP15 that at the age of 30 provoked me to write good advertising because mm -hmm. I really felt, can I not trust my elected government leaders to do the right thing? And what can I, as a 30-year-old creative, do with the capabilities that I have to create change? So I feel that's a thing that for me, has been important throughout my career and something I remind others of as well, and not to make this political and, and at all, but if you take uh, Barack Obama when he stepped down, and obviously we can discuss if his uh, political platform or at least his political achievements lived up to the platform that he got elected into the White House on, but obviously we all know his campaign, yes we can. When he stepped down, he delivered his large speech in Chicago, and this was something that really resonated me, with me, and he was also elected into the Senate there, obviously, but, but he said, yes we can, was not about people believing his ability to create change. It was about every, each and every one of us to believe in our own ability to create change. And for me, that was something that rang true with me and that to this day, for me, stands as great leadership. Terrific. What a great way to end. Thank you so much. I uh, <laughs> appreciate you spending some time on Beyond Profit. No, thank you so much, Ken. And last piece of advice, don't make yourself the heroes, but turn people into the heroes. Right, absolutely. To learn more about Thomas's new book, The Hero Trap, please visit thomascolster.com. That's K-O-L-S-T-E-R. Until next time, thanks for listening.